ان الحمد لله نحمد ونستعين ونستغفر ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Indeed all praise is due to Allah and as such we should praise him we should seek his help and seek refuge in him from the evil which is within ourselves and the evil which results inadvertently from our deeds for whomsoever Allah has guided none can misguide and whomsoever Allah has allowed to go astray none can guide and i bear witness that there's no god worthy of worship but Allah who is alone and without partner and i bear witness that muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam was the last messenger of Allah in asdaq al-hadith kitab Allah وخير هدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار Indeed the most truthful form of speech is the book of Allah and the best source of guidance was that brought by Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم And the worst of all affairs are the innovations in religion. For every innovation in religion is a cursed innovation. All cursed innovation is misguidance. And all misguidance leads ultimately to the hellfire. Brothers and sisters, today is a day known in much of the world as April Fools Day the 1st of April a day which people celebrate by lying tricking making hoaxes etc with their family members their neighbors their friends their workmates schoolmates etc it's a day when much of the world celebrates a lie or the act of lying it's a day when lying is permissible all societies recognize that lying is evil this is not something one needs to argue philosophize about it is among what is known as the ma'ruf what is known evil everywhere so this only can happen where people come together 
and agree that this day is an exception in which we all can lie. Actually, it is symptomatic of a major lie which is justified in Western civilization in general. Or the act of lying. Christmas is a lie. It is an open lie. There is no fat man with a big white beard climbing down your chimney, putting presents in your stockings on the Christmas tree. It's a big lie. The whole society participates in it. Children who don't know better think it's true and real. And I've heard from a number of people, you know, that the day when they found out that it was a lie, when they happened to come down early in the morning, snuck out of their bedroom, came down early and they saw mom and dad putting the presents in the stockings themselves. It was such a shock. It was such a shock. It shook them. And there are other lies. Other lies which are glorified and are permitted, justified in the society. So April Fools is just one form. It's a very obvious one. Everybody knows it's a lie. But they all engage in it because it has been made permissible. For Muslims, there is no room, no place for this lie. It is impermissible for a Muslim to participate in this. Even in fun, it is forbidden. Because Islam has put such great emphasis on the evil of lying. It has been infused in its teachings to such a degree that no conscious Muslim could possibly participate in it. However, as most Muslims today are unconscious, we find our friends, etc., participating in it. So, in order to at least awaken something of the consciousness of the seriousness of lying, I will mention some of the verses and the hadiths in this regard. 
In the Quran itself, Allah prohibits lying saying, إِنَّمَا يَفْتِرِ الْكَذِبَ الَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْكَاذِبُونَ It is only those who disbelieve in the signs and the revelations of Allah, who fabricate falsehood, they are the liars. And Prophet Muhammad ﷺ had identified three signs of a hypocrite, al-munafiq. And al-munafiq, or the hypocrite from the Islamic perspective, we should understand, is not merely somebody who pretends to be something he isn't, or to do something he doesn't. In the Islamic context, a hypocrite is one who pretends to be a Muslim, but he is not. He's actually a disbeliever. But he pretends to be a Muslim. Munafiq. So nifaq is a very serious label. And we shouldn't use it lightly. The Prophet ﷺ had said, there are three, and in some narrations four, three signs of the hypocrite, the munafiq, the one who pretends to be a Muslim, but he really isn't. The first sign is, when he speaks, he lies. When he speaks, he lies. That's the very first sign. When he makes a promise, he breaks it. And when he is entrusted with something, he betrays that trust. All of them are aspects of lying. When you are entrusted with something, you say, I'm going to take care of this for you. But you don't. Because you lied. Also, when you say, promising, I will do so and so. But you don't. Means you lied. So they're all aspects or manifestations of lying. And that's why he mentions lying first. When he speaks, he lies. It doesn't mean that everyone who lies becomes a munafiq. Because all of us at some time or another in our lives told, tell, will tell a lie. He said when he speaks, he lies. Meaning he is a habitual liar. He's known for lying. He lies on a regular basis. That is among the signs of a disbeliever who pretends to be a Muslim. 
When we look at lies, of course, like everything else, there are degrees. Some lies are more serious, greater than others. And as such, the punishment for them is greater. The greatest possible lie that one could tell is a lie about Allah and His Messenger. That is the greatest possible lie. The lie that Allah had a son, or that Allah is three in one. This is among the greatest possible lies that anyone could commit. And that's why when we talk about so-and-so is a good person, he's doing all this good and everything else, why shouldn't he go in paradise? He only believes that Jesus is God and God is three in one. It's just a small thing. It's a small thing in your eye. But in the sight of Allah, it is a grave matter. It is a grave matter. Similarly, the lie that Allah is everywhere and is in everything. This is a big lie about Allah. It is a lie by which those who worship Allah in His creation justify their worship. It is a huge lie. The lie that Allah regrets or that He forgets or any attribute that we give to Allah which makes Him like His creation, these are major lies. The second level, or could be included in that same level, of the greatest of lies, is the lie about Prophet Muhammad wasallam To lie about him. To attribute things to him which he didn't say. What he said was that, لا تكذبوا علي فإنه من كذب علي فليلج النار Do not tell lies about me Whoever tells lies about me will enter the hellfire من كذب علي فليتبوع مقعده من النار Whoever tells lies about me will find his place in the hellfire So we have to be very careful when we attribute things to the Prophet ﷺ. We have to be very careful. And that is why Prophet Muhammad ﷺ had said, Talabul ilmi farid ala kulli Muslim. 
Seeking knowledge is compulsory for every Muslim. Every Muslim must know what Allah said and what His Messenger said. That is why we had this huge effort by the scholars of Hadith to identify what could be authentically attributed to Prophet Muhammad from what could not be authentically attributed, what was doubtful, what were lies. And that is why the number of companions of the Prophet who narrated information from Prophet Muhammad was few. That number was a small number. Of the tens of thousands of companions of Prophet Muhammad those who actually narrated from him hadiths were in the hundreds. People wondered why. They were very careful. If they had any doubt about what they were saying, they would prefer not to say it than to relate it. They were very careful. And that is what helped to preserve Islam. Because what is attributed to Muhammad ﷺ is Islam. The Qur'an is the root. But that root cannot be understood except through the sunnah. The hadith, what was attributed to Prophet Muhammad ﷺ defines for us what is Islam? As Allah said, وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرَ لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ I have revealed upon you, Muhammad ﷺ, the reminder, the Qur'an, in order that you would explain to the people what was revealed for them. So, we have to be very careful. When we read books, where somebody says, the Prophet ﷺ said, and Prophet ﷺ did, and so and so, this is from the sunnah, and so and so, and they don't give references, then be careful. Be careful. This is a warning sign. This is a danger sign. So we have to beware, be very certain, because what we worship Allah with is what was revealed to Prophet Muhammad That is the basis of our worship. So for example, I remember one occasion when I was with a group of brothers and um, I noted as I commonly note 
we were eating together on a table with our hands, etc., on the ground. And everybody was picking up his glass with the left hand and placing his right hand underneath it and drinking with his left hand. Now everybody knows that Prophet ﷺ had said, do not drink or eat with your left hand. Everybody knows that. It is prohibited. Prophet Muhammad ﷺ clearly in no uncertain words, no ambiguous words which need further interpretation, he said clearly, do not drink with your left hand. But everybody was picking up the glass with their left hand, placing their right hand at the bottom, and drinking with their left hand. So I said, brothers, please drink with your right hand. I said, no, this is uh, okay, we're, you know, this is like something like the right hand, the right hand is there on the bottom, you know, we're... I said, but brother, you're still drinking with your left hand. But this is what we were told, you know, it is okay, this is what we do. And one brother amongst them, who was, I guess, the more knowledgeable amongst them said, it's sunnah. I said, yes, it's sunnah. In what book of sunnah can it be found? He said, it's in one of the books. Very serious statement. Very serious statement. I mean, you could say, that's a very small thing. But no, it's a big thing. Because if you don't feel shy to attribute something to Prophet Muhammad which is false, then you haven't understood the deen. You really haven't understood Islam. If it's so easy for you to say that, it was a lie. It was a lie about Prophet Muhammad Some people say, well no, actually we're not lying about him, we're lying for him. It's a lie. It's not permissible. People say, but you know, my hand, because I'm eating with the right hand, the hand gets dirty and greasy, you know, I'm eating biryani. So to go pick up the glass now with my right hand, it's going to make it all greasy. So what? Isn't it going to be washed anyway? What's the problem? We have developed a custom, widespread, and I've met it all over the world. Widespread among Muslims to drink with their left hands. Basic etiquette of eating and drinking for a Muslim. Basic, undermined.
The other great lie, second considered greatest of lies, is lying when buying and selling. This is a common area of lies. Why the Prophet ﷺ had said, At-Tujjar humul fujjar The traders are corrupt. The business people are corrupt. Corruption is endemic to business. It takes great taqwa to be an honest businessman. Great taqwa. Fear of Allah, consciousness of Allah, to be an honest businessman or businesswoman. The temptation, the temptation to lie is so great. You have a product, you want to sell it, you want to make it seem like the best. You want to promote it. So you create an image and a picture about it which is a false picture, so people will buy it. In the West, huge amounts of money, multi-millions of dollars are spent on specialists in this field. They call it marketing, but they are really specialists in the field of lying to people, to get them to buy what they don't need, to get them to buy an inferior product while thinking it is superior. And the whole industry in the production deliberately make instruments, products which are going to break and fall apart quickly so people will buy more. The average car which is sold, if they want, they can make a car which will be virtually trouble-free for 25 years. Or more, if they want. The early cars made by Ford, you could see them being used around the world. He made it back in the 20s, turn of the century. You could see those cars being used 25, 30 years later. Original model, still functioning well. So what happened to us? Now you're given a three-year warranty or a five-year warranty. And what is that based on? Well, when they put the car together, right? They will put in it certain parts 
which are made from inferior materials. Plastic instead of metal, it's cheaper. And they test these parts. They have special machines they build which will test it. Bounce it up and down, spin it around, all kinds of things. They will do to it, which would normally happen to it. And they look to see when will it break down. So they will make that part to last for three years. That's what they do. Deliberately. They'll make it to last for three. They could make it to last for 50 years. But they make it deliberately to last for three years. So they give you that three year warranty. So no. As soon as that three year warranty is up, things start going wrong. The five year warranty, other things start going wrong. Why? Why is that known, common? Because it is deliberately made in that way. So this is a business strategy. You want people to buy more cars, then you can't have the cars lasting for like 25, 50 years. You need it to break down after 4 or 5 years, 6 years, then they're going to want to buy another one. That way you have turnover, your profits are intact. This is business. And what is it that made Muslims different and caused them, people to who they came as traders, to accept Islam in Indonesia, in Malaysia, Philippines, etc., in East Africa, where traders went. It was this quality of being honest businessmen. In Indonesia, traders had been coming from Oman, from Hadramaut, and trading to China and back, trading. Following the standard business practices of selling inferior goods, and people not realizing it until you got on the ship and you're away. They figure, oh, they got us. People were shocked when, for some unknown reason, the traders who came one year would tell them the defects in their products. Show them, explain to them, tell them where there is a better product. They were shocked, why? Why would you do this? You're going to lose money, you're not going to make as much profit as you used to make. Say, so, well, because our religion forbids us from lying, from deception. And so people wanted to know about that religion. What is this religion? And people accepted Islam en masse. That is the power of the truth. So lying in this area is considered 
among the major sins. Why? Because we all have to do business. We function with business. We are social beings who do not operate independently. We have to get our needs from others. So we have to buy and we sell. That is the nature of human society. So this very fundamental nature, when we undermine it with lies, it becomes a major harm to society. So this is why Prophet ﷺ had said, in a hadith narrated by Abu Dhar, there are three to whom Allah will not speak on the day of resurrection. He will not look at them or praise them and they will have a painful torment. The Messenger of Allah repeated this statement three times. There are three to whom Allah will not speak on the day of resurrection and He will not look at them or praise them and they will have a painful torment. So Abu Dhar said, May they be doomed and lost. Who are they, O Messenger of Allah? He said, Here are the three. The one who lets his garment hang below his ankles. Woo! The one who lets his garment hang below his ankles. This is something that people are easy about. It's style, it's modern. But look where it's been placed. Means it's serious. Means we can't afford to play with it. The one who lets his garment hang below his ankles. The one who reminds others of his favors. You did this for them, you did that for them, and you remind them, look, I did this for you, I did that for you. And the one who disposes of his goods by swearing false oaths, by lying in the name of Allah. Wallahi, this is a good product. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us from these great lies. The lies against Allah, His Messenger, and the lies in our business dealings. I ask Allah to help us to find our way back to the true teachings of Islam. To respect the truth, to defend it, and to live in accordance with it. I ask Allah to forgive what has gone before, our negligence, our faults in these matters. I ask Allah to help us to raise another generation that would respect the truth and would defend it and protect it as it deserves to be protected. إنه هو الغفور الرحيم
الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله. All praise due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on the last messenger of Allah. There are other areas of lying, but time doesn't permit for me to go through all of them. And we have a main theme that we have been following over the various Jumas, where we were looking at dhikrullah in our day-to-day lives. We had reached the point of the remembrance of Allah in our daily salah. We talked about remembrance of Allah uh, in wudu and in leaving our homes, in entering the masjid. The two units of prayer before Salatul Fajr, the Prophet had given us a warning about prayers in general. But it begins with these two prayers of Sunnah before the Fard. He said in an authentic hadith, the worst thief is one who steals during prayer. The worst thief is one who steals during prayer. Naturally, his companions questioned, how does one steal during prayer? We're making salah, putting your hand in somebody's pocket and taking is that is that the worst thief? Prophet Muhammad said, He is one who does not prostrate or bow completely. Properly. He doesn't prostrate or bow properly. He is stealing during his prayer. He is stealing from his prayer. Destroying the reward of his prayer. Meaning that in the acts of prayer, he is not or she is not completing them properly. So from the very beginning, when we start the prayer and we raise our hands, to the level of the shoulders or to the level of the ears and we say Allahu Akbar this is where we start we either do it the way the Prophet ﷺ did it and he did have variations sometimes he said Allahu Akbar then he raised his hands Sometimes he said Allahu Akbar while raising his hands, Allahu Akbar. And sometimes he said Allahu Akbar after raising his hands, Allahu Akbar. Either one is acceptable. 
He did all of them. What is not acceptable is that we steal from this act of saying Allahu Akbar, then placing our right hand on our left. So what we do, many of us, is we raise our hands like this, Akbar. We just stole. We did not raise our hands, palms facing the Qibla, as the Prophet ﷺ did. And he said, Sallu usalli. Pray as you saw me pray. We have our own version. We have stolen. And so on and so forth through the Salah. There are various adhkar which the Prophet ﷺ taught us to say at different points in the Salah. But there are some that are particularly neglected. If we were to go to all of the adhkar, we wouldn't get past this point for another two or three months. So I'm only going to focus on two places for adhkar, which we could say are either unknown to most people, or they're neglected. The first place is the place of making adhkar, remembrance of Allah, when we come out of rukur. When we come out of rukur. We have common practice among a number of people that when they come out of bowing and they come out, as soon as they reach virtually standing position, they start to go down. So coming out of bowing to that standing position is incomplete. They don't complete it. They come out, coming up, they start going down. Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu as it is authentically recorded, used to say when he stood up from bowing, مِلْءُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمِلْءُ الْأَرْضِ وَمِلْءُ مَا شِئْتَ مِنْ شَيْءٍ بَعْدِ أَحَقُّ مَا قَالَ الْعَبْدِ وَكُلُّنَا لَكَ عَبْدِ اللهم لا مُعْتِيَ لِمَا مَنَعَتْ وَلَا لا مانع لما عطيت ولا معطي لما منعت وأنت الجد ومنك الجد. All of that. It's going to take time. But when we come out of rukua, we're going right down into sujood. So this is an area, adhkar, that we should learn. Even if 
we coming out of it when we say Allahu liman hamida rabbana lakal hamd we pause we at least pause there because that's all we know we at least pause rabbana lakal hamd reflect for a minute all praise is due to you allah and then we go down and i should mention here that those who teach that when you bow and they teach a special bowing for women that when they make rukur they don't make rukur like the men they say the woman the man he bows like this 90 degrees but for the woman they say no she should only bow like this 45 degrees and her fingers will just touch her knees that's all 45 degrees this is an incomplete bowing rukur this is not complete rukur it is justified by saying well you know when the man bows 45 degrees his posterior protrudes is behind sticks out and it's not appropriate for a woman to have her posterior protruding so we will just have her make rukur 45 degrees min aina laka hada where did that come from who said that sheikh so and so maulana so and so But that's not what Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi did and that's not what Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi said doesn't he know best how a man and woman should pray unacceptable the other area where azkar are unknown or forgotten is when we come out of sujood some people they come out of sujood and without even sitting back up i've seen people they make sujood they raise their head 10 inches from the ground they touch the ground again they've made two sujoods no way you have just stolen from your salah coming out of sujood you are required to sit up properly the prophet sallallahu used to say minimum rabbighfirli 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 there are longer duas that, that he made azkar but the shortest one is rabbighfirli three times means you sit up you make those azkar and then you move to the next position these are critical rabbighfirli means allah forgive me these are critical these are critical areas in which so many people steal from their prayer and when a man came into the masjid and went to join prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam's 
circle, which he had in the masjid with his companions. He prayed two rakah, and then he went to join them. And the Prophet ﷺ said, go back and pray, because you haven't prayed. So the man went back, and he made another two, and came back. Prophet ﷺ said, go back and pray, because you haven't prayed. So he went back again, made two rakah, and came back. Prophet ﷺ said, go back and pray, because you didn't pray. He said, oh, Messenger of Allah, I don't know any other prayer than this. What am I supposed to do? He said, when you stand up, you stand up until all of the bones of your back take their place. You pause. And when you bow, you bow until all of the bones in your back take their place. And so on and so forth through the prayer. That's why some scholars hold that pausing in each position is among the fundamental requirements of the prayer to be valid. These are validating principles. If you leave out pausing in each position, your salah becomes invalid. But the least is that it reduces the reward of your prayer. So, brothers and sisters, let us remember Allah. Let us remember Allah in the most fundamental act of our daily lives, in our prayers, in our salawat. Let us pray as Muhammad ﷺ prayed. And as we remember him in accordance with Allah's command, Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi, Ya ayyuhaladheena amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. We remember to follow his way in our 24-hour day. I ask Allah to forgive our negligence with regards to our prayers. To give us knowledge and taqwa in our prayers so the reward would go to us fully. I ask Allah to spread this knowledge among our families, our neighbors, and our friends. So that the Ummah again can pray as the Prophet Muhammad prayed. That the Ummah can again get the rewards which were promised to it from the prayers in accordance with the way of Prophet Muhammad I ask Allah to protect the Ummah, to forgive its sins, to forgive those among us who died and to give them paradise. And I ask Allah to allow us to leave this world in a way pleasing to Him. In our last breath, saying, La ilaha illallah.